Welcome to Changing the Sales Game podcast on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Connie Whitman. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope every week as you turn, tune in to the show, my, between my guests and I, that you really feel my movement that I am trying to create out there so that we take that word sales of meaning something that's icky sleazy to really something where we come when we sell to our, our clients, that we come from a place of love, care, and respect, and to help you change your mindset, right? And empower that sales with that salesperson within you who comes from that place of service. I have my free communication style assessment. It's my gift to you. It tells you what your highest communication superpower is. And it's really, it it gives you an idea of how you show up. So how your clients are seeing you as well as your friends and family. And it also gives you a report on your lowest style, which kind of gives you the blind spots that you might not even be aware of. So go to WhitmanAssos.com slash CSA. And that is my gift to you to help you just change that mindset from icky sleazy to one of love, care, and respect. Now, my motivational quote today is by the wonderful Eleanor Roosevelt. And Eleanor says, learn from, let me just put my timer on, learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them yourself. So as I reflect and I look back, look back on my 39 years in sales, I can easily say which of the people that I've reported to who were really quality leaders and which by the way, had no business leading any humans um, in any capacity. Now, my first 19 years in corporate were truly an eye-opener, and I think one of the catalysts that pushed me to open my own business 20 years ago. Now, during that 19-year stint, I had uh, probably between maybe about eight managers, one of the eight was worth their, their weight in salt, okay? They were, they were truly thoughtful leader. He knew how to leverage the entire team, um, looked at our strengths, look at how he partnered us together that our output could be greater and better quality, right? So we could accomplish more as a team. He was kind, he was respectful, he was brilliant, he was fair, he was tough, but he always wanted to hear from us and what we thought. He was truly a thought leader. So why does a recent Gallup poll say that 70% of Americans actually hate their job? And specifically, the reason they gave is because they hate their boss. That's a problem. Well, today, my guest is Jennifer Leake. And Jen and I, are, are Jen launched um, Assessment Pro after a career in pharmaceutical sales as an award-winning national sales manager and sales trainer. Now, she believes you can't train your way out of a bad hire. And the best product, sales product, processes and tools won't produce the results if you don't have the right people in the job. Now, for the past 25 years, she's shown leaders, especially in sales, um, how to make better hires, understand employees better, and provide regular ongoing feedback to salespeople. The results are new employees are productive sooner and current salespeople actually stay and stay in the company and produce more. She's certified in a variety of assessments, including emotional intelligence, so needed, and her medical training uh, makes her a great diagnostician to help prevent and treat people problems that we put in quotes guys in a company that low that a company that lower job satisfaction performance and profits um please help me welcome jen to the show she's brilliant and she's here to help all of my sales leaders out there so jen thanks for being on oh great to be with you connie thanks for the invite 
Yeah. You know, it was funny, Jen, as I was looking back on my career and I really sat down, isn't that funny? And I thought, well, who are my managers? <laughs> and I listed them out and I was like, bad, bad, bad. And the one, the last manager I had before I went out on my own, he was just amazing. And it's funny because he was approaching retirement. He was a male, um, but he understood human nature and he was, it was so respectful in so many ways, but he understood that like the output was important for the company. Right. But how do you do that? You have to lead through people. You can't just direct and tell people what to do and order and demand. Right. And that's really what made him so amazing. So what mistakes do you see sales leaders make most often when let's start with the hiring piece? Well, I think there's six. And, you know, I wrote this ebook, uh, this little e-paper, and I was thinking about it. And dating and hiring have some very, very similar things. And so that's what it, this little pamphlet is the six mistakes that sales leaders make when interviewing and hiring. And if you think of it in the concept of dating, you'll, you'll see that it's related. So the first one is you're not sure what you're looking for. So I remember when I was thinking about who I wanted to marry, I did have a little list of what I was looking for in, too. in dating and in marrying. And that's so many people go into the hiring process without a, a real idea. They'll have general things. They have to be able to be good with people. They have to have communication skills. You know, that's, those are so broad kinds of things. You know, do we have to find our own prospects or do we give you the prospects? Are you a commission sales or are you a, a salary sales? So you really, really have to find, you can't find the perfect one if you don't know what you're looking for. Sure. So that's the first mistake we make uh, in hiring. The second one is you're too desperate. I need a body. I, you know, let's do the mirror test. If they have a breath on the mirror, then we're hiring. Uh, so when you're desperate, you, you, you make emotional and unwise decisions when you're, mm. when you're desperate. So mm. as a sales leader and you're hiring, don't let yourself get into a desperation. You should always have a pipeline of candidates that you're thinking about. So when you do have an opening, even especially if it's unexpected, that you've got a place to start. Or you have a, you know, you have this process going. The third I see things in interviews is the sales leader talks too much about themselves. <laughs> and, um, you know, the interview is really designed to learn about this person and whether they're going to be a good fit for the company, whether they're going to be able to be the person that in step number one that you've already thought about. So you need to stop talking and not trying to sell them on taking your job. Please take my job. And then the, the fourth one is you fall in love too fast. Sales leaders, I'm sorry, they're very easy to sell. If you're an outgoing, extroverted, pleasant, energetic person, oh my gosh, you know, I can do so much with this one. And so wrong hires are really expensive. And that's why, you know, like you're saying, um, Connie, you really need to use assessments to balance out that, um, subjective emotional thing you're doing with objectivity and thoroughness. And then the fifth one is you believe everything you're told. Mm. So salespeople, especially if they're pretty good, they, they can sell you. And so again, you want, and I'm sorry to say this, people may not know that candidates can lie. 
<laughs> and so I think having background checks and references and, and if you can't do them or don't want to do them or are afraid to do them, you might say, oh, what are they, what are they going to tell me legally now? There are services that are very good at this. And um, so you really do need to use references and background checks. And if you can't do it, get a service to do it for you. They're sure. professionals. They know how to do that. And then lastly, you think you can change them later. And what you know can change, you can teach them information, product knowledge and things like that, but who they are is not going to change. And if you try to put a square peg in a round hole, you're, it's just not going to work. So things like attitude and job fit are so important and, um, and you're not going to change those two things. So that's, yeah. if you think about it, doesn't it sound like some of the things we would do in dating too? Love it. Love it. I'll change them. Once I, once I get, they get my hooks in them, I could change them. It's such a load of crap because you can't, you can't change yourself, let alone change somebody else. Right. That's right. ridiculous. Right. It's funny because the assessments, um, I, I think that it, I like how you position this because I think that if a company is using it as assessment to say, nope, or yup, that could be dangerous. But if you're using Absolutely. as an assessment, as a piece of the strategic hire, it's mm -hmm. another nugget of information to tell you whether this person person is going to fall, you know, on the good, the bad, the ugly kind of scale. And it's funny because when, when, when I teach my, my sales class, I, we talk about building relationships, right? And there's three big skills. One is technical knowledge, right? That's the products, how to open accounts, regulations for your industry, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Second one is the person's interpersonal skills. And the third one is self-management skills. Well, of the three, the technical knowledge I could teach someone product knowledge, right? And they could go and regurgitate it back to the client and talk about, you know, this amount of money and this dollars and whatever it is. So right. that's the technical. It only accounts for 15% of people's success. The interpersonal and self-management skills, those two are equal. They're whatever the 85% split in half. They're equal in weight. The interpersonal skill is important because we have to be, especially for salespeople, you have to be able to talk, right? And we have to know how to engage. I'm not saying you, you can't be an introvert kind of person, but you have to know how to engage and be delightful and all of those things, but you have to know how to manage your time, right? You have to be organized, all of those pieces of the puzzle as well. So we, we, we think that I'd love how you said the warm body, because I've seen that way too many times. They hire people. And I think my, my corporate clients, why did they hire them? They are so not a fit. They needed a body. They needed to fill it. But the cost of that becomes super exponential um, waste of time and effort as well as money. And, and now you have to fire them. And how do you fire them? And then that's another whole process. So it's really kind of counterintuitive um, because we need the warm body. Get the right body. You're, it, it's, it's more cost effective to wait the extra six months mm -hmm. right, than, than to do that. All right. So we have the six steps. I love how you connected them to the dating. I thought that was really cool and tangible. What are the six steps you have for better hires? So what are some of now the strategies that my sales leaders listening can put into place so they really do hire the right people? Well, you know, there's a lot of information and especially podcasts, I think, on how to manage people once you have them manage mm -hmm. salespeople, people, how to train them, how to teach, get them to do certain things. And maybe some of that uh, time management kind of things. But my partner, Suzanne Paling and I hadn't seen anything on how to hire salespeople. So in our podcast, um, sales hiring straight talk, it really is things that it's, it's the six steps that we think make an effective hire. Now, it's an effective hire regardless, but we're focusing specifically on, on sales leaders and giving them snippets of how to be better. And the sure, six sure. steps, the first is, you know, once you have your candidate, once you've sourced them, is that initial phone interview. 
it's really supposed to be pretty short, not very lengthy. And um, it's, it's brief and it's focused and you should have a series of questions that you use over and over and over again um, with different candidates. So you can be mastering those questions and what to look for and what to hear and what you, what you, what they, how they answer. So phone interviews first, obviously assessments is second. So now we've, we've decided that this initial person, some people say, why wait later and put the assessments in? No, you need the assessment first because not only um, cost-wise with your time and effort, uh, and I'm not saying don't hire them. I'm just saying if there's something that you know your top salespeople have and that the ones who have failed didn't have, then you know you're going into this um, hiring process with, well, maybe if I've got 15 candidates, I can't interview all 15 of them. Maybe I can screen out some of them. And that's where the assessment can help. If you do move into the next phase, which is the uh, interview number one, then you have the assessment information and you have targeted interview questions for this candidate. Rather than doing the assessment at the end, you've already interviewed them. You've missed that opportunity to really listen for what you're trying to find. So it's phone interview assessments, the first interview, and it's usually with just maybe yourself. Then there's the second interview. The first interview and the second interview differ because in the first interview, the candidate's looking at you just as much as the, you're looking at the candidate. And as a matter yep. of fact, our next series of podcasts is going to, in the first of the year, is going to be all about the six steps and the candidate experience. What are they seeing? Uh, you could lose a great candidate because you blew it in the hiring process. So interview number one is more often uh, where they're coming in trying to convince you. Interview number two is where they're meet. You've already maybe started to really like this person. And so now they're coming, they're meeting other people. What's, how organized are you in that? Um, you're maybe showing them the company a little bit more. So that's interview number two. And now you're really interested in this person. And so that's where the references come in because we want to make sure there's no surprises there. And then lastly, the job offer. And the job offer, uh, we have a series of um, podcasts on that too. We interviewed a man named William Tincup, who is the president of Recruiting Daily. And I had heard him on another um, training thing, and we invited him to speak. And he has some amazing stories about how people have failed or succeeded um, in getting a candidate because of the job offer, the most unusual ones, how they blew it. Um, the there's one, I'm not going to tell you what the story, what the answer is, but he talks about how the Beatles white album convinced someone to come work for a company in the job offer. Very so I cool. Just, I just entice that for people who might want to hear William talk about that story. That's cool. You know, it's funny, the um, references and every, this is what people, of course, they're going to give me good references. What about like looking on LinkedIn and uh, on social I, I media? Well, I know a lot of people, HR people, hiring people, sales leaders, they do look on LinkedIn because uh, what are they sharing and, and who they come in and they present themselves as this calm, great person. And then you go on their Facebook page or usually it's more Facebook than LinkedIn. And then they're, you know, being crazy or, or something. And so, and if they're representing your company, it's I don't like surprises. So I want to really know who I'm getting. So the references, maybe social media looking because your clients might 
I know when I might look them up too. When I absolutely, I'm always looking on LinkedIn for people that yeah, you know, if somebody is wanting to connect with me or meet with me, I do. I go on both both of those just to see who this person really is. So yeah. Yeah. And and here's the thing, guys, I know he's like, well, you know, LinkedIn, you could put your persona forward, but a lot of people don't have the time or bandwidth or knowledge how to set up a Facebook or a LinkedIn page mm-hmm. perfectly. Right. Because we just, that's not our, our zone of genius per se, but you have to be careful on what you're posting or what you, how you're showing up because it, clients will look you up. And, and I think that, you know, I remember when my kids were still little and they first got on social media, it's funny now, Jen, you know, that Facebook is like middle-aged women like us, not the kids anymore. I don't know the last time my kids were on Facebook, but they're on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So that would be a place that I would look right for that generation. If I'm looking for a new hire. And I remember my kids were young when they first got on social media and my husband started saying, this is your reputation. You're building your reputation, everything you put on Facebook and, and, And the rule was we, they had to friend us so that we, not that we stalked them, but I wanted to be able to see. And if they said no, then you can't, I mean, they could have done it behind my back, but my kids were like, I don't care. You know, fine. You can be a friend on it. And uh, they never, they posted everything because they played hockey, right? It was always about hockey. So there was nothing weird that they were putting out there, but we, we taught them from a young age, your future employers are going to look at this. It's digital. It's never going away. So you never put something on that you could ever be ashamed of or embarrassed later because it's going to bite you on the butt. So always make sure that your social media is in place as well. And yes, of course, you're going to pick, you're going to pick stellar references. Um, but what if the references, they talk about you, but they don't say the right things, right? So you, there's so many moving parts to this when we talk about hiring, because we're trying to peel back the layer of the person before we hire them, right? Right. And, and we didn't mention Twitter. I, I, how many uh, times are we hearing people get in trouble and have to resign because they tweeted something 10 years ago, or I don't know how long, how long Twitter has been around, but like your, what made me think about that is you saying, this is your reputation forever. Once it's on the internet, absolutely. it absolutely can there. be people found. Take, if, even if you take it down, people have taken screenshots of it. Think of all the people who were ranting about something and then Next thing we hear, they've been fired from their job. And executives have been fired from a job for posting, you know, inappropriate images at parties and stuff like that. And and the other thing, too, I think people need to be aware of, I don't care what position you're, you're hiring or you're looking for. Everybody has a camera now. When we were young, Jen, nobody had a camera. You were a bird watcher. You, know, you had a camera in your car. But other than that, who had a camera? And, and, and a good camera at that. Now, everybody has a camera because of our phone. So you are never ever private. And that's another thing I think people are unaware of that you, you have to be mindful that somebody's always watching. It's, it's terrible, but on the same token, it hopefully raises your awareness so that you think twice before doing something really silly or stupid that maybe you shouldn't be doing right. Especially if you've been drinking and stuff like that. And I think sometimes Um, people are, um, the, the recorder says, Hey, I think I'll just do this. And then maybe they'll do something stupid and I can start to record it. And then I, cause I hear them say, this is going on Facebook when somebody's being ridiculous. So I think people are, um, that's not, they instigate things. Sometimes I think people are, are lulled into, uh, some of these things. 
somebody's always watching. And that yes. was another lesson we taught, taught our kids. And I remember we're getting off topic, but really, really important. A woman, um, and here's the other thing. When you take a video and it's out of context, um, woman had her kid in the car and I guess the kid was crying and she started hitting the kid. Now, again, I'm not saying for me, that speaks volumes, right? You shouldn't ever hit a child. It was a baby too. It was a little, little kid in a little car seat. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't know the context prior to that. You know what I mean? So again, she was villainized, even though you don't know the context prior. So I, I just feel like we have to be hyper vigilant and mm -hmm. as hirers, right. Of, especially of salespeople, because they are repres they really are the face of your company, your sales representatives. You have to know who you're hiring and who you're getting in bed with, because it, it is a representation of, of, you know, who you are and what your products and services are. Um, and one just last thing, Connie, sure. and that makes me think that sales leaders really have to watch what they put out there because <laughs> remember I said that the candidate is checking you out at the same time you're checking them out. So I would caution sales leaders to not only look for, check out their sales reps, but recognize they might also be being checked out too. Yeah, you should be held to a higher standard, right? Because you're mm -hmm. the leader of the organization. So you should be held to a higher mm -hmm. standard, right? Right. Um, now you stress the word, and, and I'm putting this in quotes, guys, job fit for an employee. Why is this important to, to you know, fit the job, fit the company, fit the boss? Why is this important? Well, I believe it's so important that I actually, my license plate is actually job fit. That's my license plate. So I I'm love it. When I'm driving around town, I really have to be a good driver because people know exactly who's in the car. I love it. But I think there's three job fits. Uh, and I, it's important because I have been in a good job and it's been my best job ever. And I have been in a job that I hated and couldn't wait and, and eventually quit. And you talked about people quitting companies. So there's three job fits I would have sales managers think about. The, the first is obviously fit to the job is if... If I can't close, if I can't prospect, if I, if there's functionalities of the job that I'm not going to like, people may say I can do this. I like this, but then they find out they don't. Sure. Uh, I don't like a lot of data. And so I love being in sales because I love people and relationships. And when I was promoted into a financial operations job to groom me for a vice president position, I could not stand. I was processing $70 million a, 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 a month in sales with a department. And it was just so much financial and so many details that that's not me. So that was not a good job fit. The second fit is fit to the company, the company's vision and the mission. And the is it an entrepreneurial company that is in startup mm -hmm. mode when there's no rules and regulations yet? I mean, not regulations, but there's it's like we're we don't we're new. We don't have roles. We don't have the we have a plan, but, you know, things are changing as we try things on. So some people could fit a company that's sure. a very entrepreneurial startup company. But other people want to have um, much more of a maybe an established thing. Uh, we did a, a study years ago when I lived in Spokane, Washington with a bank and bank tellers were their first positions and it was their entry level and they had a lot of turnover. And we actually discovered that they needed three there were three identities of tellers in their company. One was a, an established branch that needed to maintain their customer base against competition. Another was a brand new branch that needed to steal the competition's customers. And then they had ones in grocery stores, which was less, was much more transactional and less personal. So there was a fit to the job, but there was also a fit to yeah. the company. Maybe banking's not for you. Are you selling equipment? 
or you tell selling something more intangible, such as a service or, or, or um, uh, an idea. And then the third fit, which I think a lot of people forget, is a boss. So let's say we're both sales managers, Connie, in the same company, and we are in different regions. We are very different people. I'm somebody who likes to micromanage. I want to know everything that's going on. I'm going to be on, you know, connecting with you a lot. And you're somebody who say, hey, I don't want to babysit you. You call me if you have a problem. And we're touching maybe once a month on um, this being remote sales reps. So if I hire somebody who doesn't, who wants more autonomy and less and more independence, and they're not going to be good for me. And, and if somebody who wants a little bit of connection and, and, and more ongoing support and help, you'd be the bad man, the wrong manager for them. So we'd take a really, really good person, a great company um, and job fit person and put them with the wrong boss. Where if we switch it, both of us have the person that is going to do well with us. And you mentioned that the number one reason and the number one reason I left the company after that I was in was my boss. I hated the job. I also hated my boss. I could have probably survived in a job that I didn't love because there was enough of it that I could like. Sure. But I was fighting the job. I was fighting with my boss. I was carpooling to go to work every day because I couldn't get out of bed any other way. And finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I quit. We had two kids in college and I quit. My husband was wonderful and let me quit. And that's when I launched my consulting business and said, I want everybody to be in their best job ever. And that's the whole program that I work with companies about. You know, and here's the thing, Jen, it's so interesting because my guests and I, we talk about leadership, thought leadership a lot. And it's hard to find. And I don't understand. There's so much written. There's so much, you know, the Gallup poll, right? There's all of this research and data. And yet we still don't lead well. And, and we still have high turnovers and we still have 70% of Americans hate their job. It's frustrating for, for someone like you and myself, where it seems so darn obvious what the solution and the answer is right to, to remedying that. And yet we don't do it. And I'll share, I have a, a, a friend, uh, he's been on the show several times and um, he's, he's from Maine, one of the oldest co companies in the country. It's a lumber company, Hancock lumber. And it was in the early 1800s that this company opened. It was his great grandfather, whoever opened the business and it's remained in the family. And so fast forward, he was probably um, maybe, maybe early forties when he, he, his dad had to step down and he had to take over the position. And so now you're the CEO and all the stress he felt from that because he had to have, you know, in his mind, I have to have all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. Quote unquote. And what happened is he, be, he developed a spasmodic disorder in his voice. So he literally, it was painful to speak. So he couldn't talk and he, and he couldn't talk fluid. Like he would be like, that, like he couldn't talk. So people were still coming to him and he, it's funny because you read his book, it's the seven powers is the book. It's about disbanding the leadership role so that you empower everybody. Everybody's all the division heads are leaders. Well, fast forward, what happened is he, he couldn't answer. So they'd say, Hey, I think I want to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And he, all he'd say is, well, what do you think you need to do? And they would say, I think you need to do this. And he'd go, okay. <laughs> this became the only conversations he could have. And he said, as long as it was a reasonable, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, go ahead, try it. And he says, and what happened is they started making more money 
because they were truly the experts in their division. They knew more about it than he could ever because he was the CEO, right? He was at the helm. Well, fast forward now, uh, it's probably been about 12 years since he had the spasmodic disorder and he dis, dis, uh, he empowered the whole team, right? The employees. He is one of the best companies in the country to work for. He has like a 97% retention rate. Um, he has a profit over the past decade. So this is the thing. People go, oh yeah, sure. Dispersed power. Like what a load of crap. But he says, he said to me, Connie, the proof's in the money, right? He said, Mm -hmm. so this past decade from 2000, by the way, the housing crisis, he was a, um, in, in lumber, right? So from 2010 to 2020, his company made more than it had made from the early 1800s to 2010. Oh my goodness. So tell me that that's not number one, brilliant leadership. He has changed the website. It was Hancock Lubber. He goes, I don't want my name on it. It's not my company. It's our company. And he, he said the innovation that has come through the streamlining that has happened, the number of sales has gone up. Like he said, every department is thriving and flourishing because it wasn't me making all the decisions. You're one man. He goes, how can that be? So if we're not dispersing that power, um, how dangerous is that, right? So isn't that a great story? Yeah, I want to say something. I'm just hoping. Sure. Actually, it's not the right thing. Um, I was thinking, isn't it John Maxwell who has the five levels of leadership? Yep. And the first one is, you know, you're the leader because you get the title and then you get the, and it's the last one is the legacy. And that's where you have, you're doing, first of all, level four is, I think it's doing things with others. And then the last one is a legacy. And it sounds like he has reached that level five of John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because he said, he says, I wasn't that smart that I thought of this on my own. It was out of pure necessity of pain and that, that he shifted. And he says, and then once he shifted it, it, everything changed, everything changed for him. He's so much happier. He's less stressed out. Um, He still has the spasmodic disorder and he's like, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. So see, it's perspective, right? But why can't everybody, you hear that story and the proofs of the pudding, he's making the money, man, right? The profitability is there, yet we don't buy into it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, you had mentioned, I think um, it was, you had multiple bosses and one was really good. And it made me think that, you know, we mentioned emotional intelligence a little bit before. Yes. Millennials, I read a statistic that millennials are going to be 75% of the workforce by 2025. So that's not that long from now. Not, no one's teaching them. I, I have to support the sales leaders too, because no one's equipping them. We put somebody, we take a great salesperson and put them into sales leadership, which I don't think often works anyway, because some of the things that make you a great sales producer actually work against you. And we talked about job fit, Uh, but we also then take great people and put them into sales leadership as a reward because we, we value yes, them. Yes. And then it's like taking a machinist who's a master machinist on machine one and putting them on machine two and walking away and saying, okay, now be as great on this machine yes. as you were on the first. So we really have to equip sales leaders and how to sell, which is, I mean, how to hire, which is why we have the sales hiring straight talk. We really want to equip them with resources, tools, ideas on how to make great hires. Because when you hire good talent, it makes the rest of of your job a lot easier. And then I also want to get them to be trained in emotional intelligence. The boss you loved, he had high emotional intelligence. It's not being taught 
anywhere. Nope. Nope. And that's it, although we have been talking about emotional intelligence, it's in 2015, I think it was that it was going to it was one yes. of the top 10. In 2020, yep. it was one of the top 10. But I am seeing it explode now as people are even even though we've been talking about it 10 years, people are finally getting it. And and there's a a thing that I do called the emotional intelligence experience. And I it's sort of like, why, what is emotional intelligence and why is it important? And we have you think about your best boss. We have you think about your worst boss. We have you think about your actions, your discretionary effort, how, how they were and how that made you feel. And what the score is usually on a highest, it's a score of 30 that you can give somebody. The high emotional intelligence people usually get scores of 25 to 30. Wow. The, low ones get usually under 10. Wow. And that the dramatic difference was important. However, what was even more important than when asked the question, how long ago did you have this boss? 20, 30 years. So not only is emotional intelligence going to affect you today, it is a lasting effect. And uh, we're actually now working at looking at the average person is okay emotional intelligence enough because to make an okay person a little bit better has far more results we're not really probably going to get somebody with low emotional intelligence to become masterful but we can get somebody who's on the fence between good and bad and make them better and then that's so that's we're actually looking at the okay emotional intelligence people rather than circling between the two yeah, and I do think people are aware of the emotional intelligence, and it's true because he was an you know an older gentleman, and he it's interesting because he had like eight kids, uh, married you know to his wife for forty years. They had a, a disabled child, so his level of emotional intelligence was off the chart. Natural for him because of his just life situation, he was just a nice man too, and brilliant. Um, and, and but I I agree with what you said. These poor I, I think oftentimes we're promoted into a position because. Because we're good at, it's like the athlete, they go, oh, you should be the coach. They can't coach. They're good at what they do because it was mm-hmm. a natural skill and they thrived at it. But now to have them teach someone else because it was so natural to them, level of frustration, they start screaming at people instead of coaching people. So yeah, I agree. But I think emotional intelligence is really going to play its part in this, in this next decade for us. And here's, and it's interesting that you said about the millennials, the millennials are searching for that mm-hmm. emotional connection, community, um, the the philanthropic piece of things. They are worried about our earth. Um, they are courageous where they, they're not afraid to start a business, right, or to think innovatively. Mm-hmm. So we have this new group of leaders, I think, um, and that, you know, leaders that I work with, emerging leaders that I work with, and they really, I think, are eager to learn the emotional intelligence, even though their bosses maybe through the years haven't had it. So I think that I think the next decade is going to be super interesting as the thought leadership role changes and evolves as the baby boomers, you know, the, the old school thinking and these, these kids, their kids to me, but these millennials, and again, millennials, everybody says it in a negative way. We can learn so much from this next generation coming up, but I think we can teach them a lot as well. And I think they're eager to learn. I don't think they're um, aloof. Like I know it all. I think they're eager to learn. I think they're eager to build a community. 
You know, I have to, it makes me think one other thing I read is some people say, well, this generation and the Gen Zs, they're jumping around in jobs, you know, so you can't hold on to them. And I, I was actually at a seminar on multi-generations. And when somebody looked at each of the generations at that age group, say the 18 to 28, there wasn't much difference in the jumping around. Uh-huh. People at that, it wasn't the generation, it was the age you know, when you're 18 to 28, you just they don't know what I changed They're my major exploring. When I was in college. I had no idea what I was going to yep. do when I grew up. I went to pharmacy school and here I am. I was a pharmacist. Here I am being a consultant for 25 years. Who knew? That's right. I, I love it. one one last point. And then I do want to give your contact information because everybody should talk to you, especially if you're a sales leader out there. Um, you know what? This this is this information that Jen is has kind of stripped down and figured out is super helpful. Um, the what was I going to say about the um, jumping around the, the 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 kids jumping around now? The, my son, I remember when he graduated and he said, I don't know what to apply for. I go, here's the deal, dude. Get a job. Get some entry level, whatever it is. Right. You're not going to love the job. You're going to love the people. You're going to start building your network that it is what it is. It's entry level, crappy job deal with it. And, but you have to start building that experience. You stay there a year or two and then you move on and you continue to build your credentials. And then you, again, not going to love probably the second job either, but you're going to love the people you work with because they're going to be young like you. You're going to be doing bowling league together and all of these. So I think when they're younger, it's more of the friendships and the learning, right? Building their credentials versus I love my job because that's the other thing I think, at least my kids, you know, we're, we were taught in college and we were taught by you, you have to love what you do. That's true. Once you find what you want to do, but not when you're 21 years old graduating from college, right? So it's this whole process. We don't allow, we don't allow people to go through the processes. That's fascinating. The 18 to 28, that the stats are the same. And, and my best job ever is actually my first job I had at the age of 16. It was in the drugstore. I loved going there. All of us loved working there. So sure. what I, my motto that companies should really live with is that you want people who love what they do, enjoy who they work with, and respect who they work for. Yeah. And in my first job, I had all that. Yeah. I I had a, I was there for seven years throughout pharmacy, throughout high school, throughout pharmacy school. And it it really is the model and because my boss, we were all trained. We never had to recruit. As soon as somebody, there was an opening, we brought in a friend. We were trained. We knew what to do. We knew our role. We, there was no discord in the, in the organization. And it was a small community pharmacy with maybe about 12, 15 employees. Love it. And I thought that was what work was. And for the most part, I have had a best job ever. But the job has always been the best job ever because I enjoyed, I was learning, I've had yes. a new role, I felt respected, that's where the emotional intelligence comes in, yeah. um, the people I worked with were fun and became friends, and then as long as I was respected, or I respected my boss because he respected or she respected me, I was a happy camper, I'm a loyal, Absolutely. high work ethic, so I think your entry job helps you, you should go try to do something you like, but I think your entry job can also have you 
see what, what did you like about it? I like that I had relationship. I love that I worked with the people. I love that I was doing something good, taking care of the community and their health needs. So it really had my little check. You know, I started to create my list of what does a job look like for me to give me satisfaction. I love it. Yeah. I'm always learning doesn't matter. We're always learning. And every year, every generation, every reiteration of jobs, right? We learn. And I think the leadership piece, um, we have to seek out that emotional intelligence learning if they're not teaching us. I do think it's our, I, I believe when you're a leader, it is your responsibility to lead, not to manage. Managing is a process. Leading, we lead through people and magic happens when we start to tap into that energy, right? So I just, I love everything you talked about today. Um, guys, I, mean, I if, do have one other quick thing, yes, and that is sure. for your listeners. I have a, a free th- gift for them too. I, I heard you give out gifts, so I thought I'd better bring a gift. I love gifts. <laughs> the company that I buy my emotional intelligence assessment is Genos International They're out of Australia. Wonderful company. Great. They, they, they model what they teach, but they have something called an emotional climate index. Oh. And, and they pick five uh, words that are productive words like valued, trusted, uh, empowered, and five words that are unproductive, mistrust, uh, you know, whatever. I can't think of the words on, on top of the head, but everyone... Everyone in the company gets to, and it could just be a sales force if they just wanted their sales force to get, um, you, 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 you give a score of how you're feeling now, how you expect to feel, and what would be an ideal feeling. And we can break it out by how long they've been with the company, different regions, whatever. Love it. So yep. it, it takes minutes to do, and it's, um, it's called the Emotional Climate Index, and would be more than happy to share. Absolutely. Guys, I will put that link. Thank you so much, Jen. I, I love giving things away, and I love helping people experiment, right, and get curious mm-hmm. about things. And these are little ways that we could do that, and I, I just think that's awesome. Uh, so, yes, I will put that in the show notes. Also, guys, if you'd like to reach Jen, you can go to Jennifer at assessmentpros.com or go to the website, which is assessmentpros.com, P-R-O-S, again, plural. And I will, um, and and the uh, podcast, that is, what's the podcast? The podcast is saleshiringstraighttalk.com. And I will post that as well. And also that little ebook I mentioned about the dating and the hiring, that's at assessmentpros.com forward slash sales hyphen leader. Okay. We could, we'll put all of those guys. I don't want you to worry about that. We will put that all in the show notes, easy peasy so that you can find them and just tap into some of these ideas. Great free resources. Again, if you have questions, reach out to Jen directly. Um, but this is important. This is an important topic and we really do have to change the leadership model going forward. And I do have a lot of millennials that listen to the show, which makes me so happy. And I hope that they are like, Ooh, I love that assessment. You know, let me take it and let me experiment because I I think they're really, really open to the experimentation of, I didn't know that. What does that mean? And I think that opens some of the the conversations that we need to have happen. So again, thank you so much for being on, Jen, sharing so much valuable information. And I hope people picked up maybe even just one tip, even if they just take that assessment and, and that's the one piece, that one nugget that might help them really change the trajectory of their leadership skills and their leadership path. So that is wonderful. Um, thank you again for being on. Just a great show. So much information 
information. It's like, ah, <laughs> uh, but really appreciate it. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's been really fun. I can't believe how fast. Oh, yeah. And this was a little bit longer show, but it was such valuable content. I didn't want to, I didn't want to limit it. You know what I mean? Cause people don't want to listen. They could tune out, they could tune back in, whatever. So I hate shortening it just to meet a number on the on the stopwatch so thank you so much for being on and i hope you will all join me weekly as we uh, question build and discover together that leadership thought leadership is easier than we than we think and that we have so many wonderful tools strategies tips and experts like jen and myself and i do hope our stories and our ideas and just take one thing take the assessment take one thing and see where it brings you see see how you detour in a different direction of your own education and your own um capabilities so thank you so much um jen and thank you all for tuning into changing the sales game podcast with me your host connie Whitman on webtalkradio.net. I truly wish you an inspired week where you can embrace that thought leadership role just from that little smidge of a difference or that little smidge of a different perspective. That's when magic starts happening. So please use the assessments, all the free gifts that we're attaching um, for your benefit. And I truly am honored to have you on this journey with me um, in changing the sales game because we got to make it come from this place of love, care, and respect and not that icky sleazy kind of So thank you again. Thank you, Jen. I'll see you all next week. Have a great one. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow.